Okay. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming out on this wonderful Thursday afternoon. It is right now uh, the Thursday afternoon of Shabbos Parshas MR. It's also right now that you could feel the excitement in the air. Lagba Omer is rapidly descending upon us. I know myself, even here in Detroit, which when I moved to Detroit, I remember there was like, there was nothing going on in Lagba Omer. And I remember I lived in Israel when I was a kid. And in Israel, Lagba Omer is every pyromaniac's dream. You would not believe what you would see children. We're talking about 12 and 13 year old children making bonfires that I vividly remember flames leaping 50 feet in the sky. We're talking about five story buildings. I remember in Harnof on Rakhov uh, Nisim, right? There was buildings across the street and their buildings were like seven story buildings. And when these Miduras, these bonfires that they were building were at their peak burn, you would see flames leaping almost as high as the building. It was so, it's so crazy. And remember, in Israel, all the construction is mostly out of cement and, and, and stone. So where are they even finding all this wood from? But kids are the most, I mean, of course, any wooden doors are free, you know, free game. But like the, the, these kids, because like I lived in Harnof. Harnof probably had 40 or 50 major bonfires. And that's just one neighborhood in Jerusalem. And they've got hundreds of neighborhoods all around Jerusalem and B'nai Brock and it's just, it's just incredible. It's incredible. Mind you, top that all with, with Mayron, right? Mayron is the biggest party in the world. I always tell people, Mayron is literally the biggest party in the world. On an average year, Mayron will see half a million people. Where else in the world are half a million people partying together in one place? In one place, right? There's, I, I think in the entire world, there's nothing greater than the party of Lagba Omer and Mehron, and it's an amazingly a holy party, right? There are so many unholy parties, like, you know, Burning Man and all these, like, you know, music festivals where everyone's just drugged out of their minds, and, you know, it's, it's not it's not a holy situation. It's not a Mikra Kodesh, but this is, we're talking about in Israel, the Mehron is a beautiful Mikra Kodesh. It's hundreds of thousands of people coming to sing and to daven and to pray and to dance, and it's incredible, and it's beautiful. So we're going to try to connect today. We're going to try to connect Parshas Emor, because it is Thursday, and this week is Parshas Emor, to the story of Shem Yochai. All right, can we do that? You'll find out soon enough. But before I do that, I want to say thank you to you. I want to thank you to all of you who are here on this Zoom. I want to thank you for coming out every week, despite the pandemic fatigue and all that. You guys have been awesome. I want to thank those who come in from afar and those who come in from Detroit. I want to thank the amazing Yeshiva the Owner Partners Detroit, who enables this Lunch and Learn every week. And I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, and it contains thousands of hours of incredible Torah knowledge that you can download into your, um, your medulla oblongata. There we go. That's where you should put it. Just put it in your medulla oblongata. That's where it belongs. And store it away safely there for the next time you're going to need it. And I also want to tell you that thanks to the incredible efforts of my good brother, Azriel Burnham, my uh, Torah classes for Thursday, at least my Thursday classes are now available wherever you get your podcasts, if you get your podcasts. So it'd be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, and so on. So if you'd like to find them, please check up and look for Burnham on the Parsha. All righty, let us get started. So Lagba Omer is coming. Let's give a bunch of questions about Lagba Omer. And again, you know, it's funny, there's a Mishnah in, in the first Mishnah in Tractate Rosh Hashanah. It says that there are four Rosh Hashanahs. There is the first day of Nisan, which is the Rosh Hashanah for kings. And there's a Machlokas of Rosh Hashanah, uh, Rosh Chodesh, um, 
Elul is the Rosh Hashanah for tithing of animals. Then you have Rosh Hashanah itself, the famous Rosh Hashanah, which is the first of Tishrei, upon which is Rosh Hashanah for humanity. And then there's the Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanot, Tubishvat, which is Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanot. And of course, tonight is in Lagba Omer in Israel's Rosh Hashanah Le'pyromaniacs. All the pyromaniacs of the world can rejoice. And of course, we have it in America too, but not the same way. Okay, now, so let's get down and figure out what's going on about this Lagba Omer. And I want to just point out a lot of these thoughts were prepared with the help of Rabbi Shia Warner, who now lives in Muncie, I believe, uh, an amazing Rav. He used to live here in Detroit, um, was the Rav of the Chabad of Oak Park. Okay, what is Lagba Omer all about? Rabbi Kiva's students stop dying. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know if we're celebrating that. It's like, because according to some opinions, they stopped dying because they were all dead, right? That's not necessarily a reason to celebrate. Rabbi Shim Yochai dying, right? Like, are they in the same, like we also say it's the yard site of Rabbi Shimba Yochai, right? Meaning most, if you go to Meron, if you go to Meron, most of the celebration in Meron is not about Rabbi Kiva's students stopping dying. I mean, it's, it's going on and on and on. They're yelling and screaming. It's all about Rabbi Shimba Yochai. People are donating. I just saw today, someone sent me a video of like, just like warehouses filled with food that people donate in honor of the merit of Rabbi Shimba Yochai, whose yard site was today, right? And as a matter of fact, there's this thing called Chai Rotel. I believe it was one of the, maybe the Bava Rebbe, one of the Hasidic grandmasters said that people who donate a certain amount of, of, of wine or, or mashke or drink for those who are making their pilgrimage to Meron will get special chusim, special merits. And of course, today people donate plenty of wine. There's, if you want, if you're there, you want some wine, you want some grape juice, no problem. Other people donate high rotel because high rotel is about 54 liters or something like that. It's a pretty significant amount. Some people donate high rotel of like petel. Right? I remember when I went to Mayron. So they literally had these, these, these faucets. They, they had like sinks. Like, you know, like you set up a temporary sink. It's got like six faucets. Okay. And every one of them, there's like a big, uh, massive drum of petel. Petel is like the bug juice of Israel. It's like something sweet, syrupy, and of unidentified origin, right? But definitely not recommended by the FDA, right? <laughs> Took them this long to get CDC approval for the COVID-19 vaccine. They are never approving the petel from Israel. Um, but in any case, and I remember you could walk up to these, there's like, like literally like a bank of six faucets. You turn the faucet and out comes delicious, fresh, cold petel, okay? Which word of those didn't fit? Delicious, fresh, cold petal. Maybe delicious, but definitely fresh and cold and petal. In any case, it's all donated by people who wanted to give high rotel, 54 liters of whatever it might be. And um, so there's a lot going on. And most of the celebration you see is uh, related to Rav Shemba Yochai. So um, why are we celebrating that he died? Like he was on the good guys team, right? We should be a little bit probably mourning his death. Wouldn't that be a little bit more appropriate? Um, so that would be what we should uh, try to figure out today as well. And is the death of Rav Shem here? Shifra, the phone is picked up. It's over here. Is the death of Rav Shem Yochai and the um, the death of, of Rav Kiva students in any way connected? Next, what exactly did Rav Kiva students do wrong? Right, they were very very great people. If you were a student in Rav Shem in Rav Kiva's uh, academy of Torah, you were clearly like a a incredible incredible human being. It wasn't like you know like if the if the Application, I don't know if you know this, check out this incredible stat. It's harder to get accepted to be a sanitation department worker in the city of New York than it is to get into Harvard. Again, which I'll just phrase that the other way to make it even more shocking. It's easier to get into Harvard than to get into the sanitation department of the city of New York. That is a fact, 
okay? Meaning the amount of application the city, the, the, the Department of Sanitation in New York City gets every year and the amount of people they accept is far lower. The percentage of the acceptance rate is far lower than the acceptance rates, acceptance rates at Harvard University. Um, but in any case, like if you get into Harvard Univers University, the hope is that you're not a slouch, right? The hope is like it, you had to work to get here. And the hope is that you got here now. You're somewhat of a, a serious person. So if you were in Rabbi Akiva, forget Harvard. <laughs> Harvard's a joke compared to Rabbi Akiva. You were a student of Rabbi Akiva, one of the, the greatest Tanaim to live. You must have been an amazing person. So how, how did they die? What was this lack of respect that they had for each other? And what does it have to do with us? Why? Okay. What, furthermore, a few more questions. What exactly is this Torah Sanister? The, the, the idea is that Roshim Bar-Yuchai, on the day of his death, he told over sort of the Torah Sanister, the, the hidden Torah. What exactly is this Torah Sanister? And how does it relate to us non-Kabbalah learners, right? So I got my learner's permit when I turned 40, right? So you're not supposed to learn Kabbalah until you turn 40. When I turned 40, I was given my learner's permit, but I still have not completed enough hours to get my license, right? To learn, to learn Kabbalah. It's, it's very intense stuff. It's like most of us are not sitting and learning Kabbalah. And if we are, we probably shouldn't be. So uh, the reality is Kabbalah is very, very high level Torah. And again, you have to really be holding in all the supporting foundational material if you want to be studying uh, Kabbalah. You know, like, you know, Loyalenu, Loyalenu, you have these celebrities like Madonna, exactly, like Madonna studying Kabbalah. There's, there's nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, it's, that's a total, total scam. It's, uh, it's the equivalent of, it's the equivalent of, of uh, Scientology. I mean, literally, the, 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 the Hollywood Kabbalah industry is literally just another form of Scientology, right? It was started by a couple of scam artists and uh, whatever, and they are scam artists and, and through and through, it's, it's, all, it's all just very, very disgusting. But unfortunately, people are attracted to it because they think, oh, wow, this is cool. The same way they're attracted to, oh, wow, Scientology, which by the way, also, it's amazing how much society looks to celebrities to be like these fountains of knowledge and they want to know what what do our celebrities feel about about this political matter and who should we vote for and environmental issues when these celebrities half of them are going to Scientology rooms to get readings by these Campbell soup cans and see how their thetans are feeling I mean these we the the, the incredible and, and the rest of them are going to like you know rehabs openly telling everybody they're going to rehab for the third time now for drugs and alcohol and these are the people we're looking to for advice wow something's wrong with our society but in any case um, what exactly is the Kabbalah? I mean, we don't learn Kabbalah. We don't, we don't learn Kabbalah, right? What is Kabbalah? And what, what are we missing out on? Or how does it relate to us non-Kabbalah learners? Next, why specifically was Rabbi Bar Yochai the person who was the one who brought out this Torah Sinister? Why was he the one who brought out the Torah Sinister? There are so many great people in that generation, at least five, right? Because Rabbi Kiva had five students after the uh, death of his 24 students, we know that he restarted with five, and we'll see that inside. He had five great students. Why was it specifically Rabbi Shem Yochai who was able to bring about this incredible revealing of the Torah Sanister, the secrets of the Zohar, the secrets of, of, of Kabbalah to the world? And now I would like to take a quick pause to make it a very important blessing on this delicious cup of water. H2O. Tell me you need anything else besides H2O to make you make you a believer, right? We got hydrogen gas, we got oxygen gas, two highly flammable, very dangerous gases. You put them together and boom. And yes, oxygen is a dangerous gas in the atmosphere. It's diluted. 
79% of the atmosphere is nitrogen, 1% is carbon dioxide, 20% is oxygen. If we were living in an oxygen rich world, like 100% oxygen world, you would light your Shabbos candles and that would be the last thing you'd ever light in your life because the oxygen is incredibly, incre incredibly flammable, right? Okay, so amazingly, Hashem takes this insanely flammable uh, oxygen gas, connects it with hydrogen gas, brings the two together and says, hey guys, why don't we make a little peace deal? You guys are gonna share electrons, right? Which is basically what the bonding is. You're gonna share some electrons and then you're gonna turn into water and you're gonna be the most amazing life-giving force in the world. Woohoo! amazing. Wait, everybody made a bracha. I could just make brachas on, on water all day long. Okay. Hmm. Let us go now to students of Rabbi Akiva for $200 in Tractate Yevamos, page Samach Beis, Ahmed Beis, Tractate Yevamos 62b. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Rabbi Akiva says, Lamad Torah Bialduso, Lamad Torah Bialduso, if you learn Torah in your youth, Yilmo Torah Biziknuso, you should still keep learning Torah in your, in your, in your elder years. Hayulo Talmidim Bialduso, if you had students in your younger years. Now, of course, Rabbi Kiva did not learn Torah when he was young. And that's why he's able to say Torah as an older person and Torah as a younger person are entirely different. So even if you've learned a lot as a young man, don't say, oh, I already know Torah. I got it. <laughs> I spent the first 20 years of my life going to yeshiva. I'm good. I don't really need to learn Torah. I mean, of course, obviously, you know, I, I, you know, I do Chumash Rashi, whatever it is. No, no, no. You learn Torah when you're young. Learn Torah when you're old. It's different Torah. Right? Meaning you look at the world differently. Your experiences have been different. The way you understand the depths of reasoning is different. I'll do so if you had students when you were young. So you should still make sure to have students when you are old. As it says, as it says, in the morning you shall plant your uh, plantings and in the evening you shall uh, you shall reap your harvest. Okay? So this this is what you're supposed to do. There's two separate types of things. You plant your harvest when you're young and you reap your harvest. You plant your plantings when you're young. You reap your harvest when you are in your latter years of your life, the twilight years of your life. Says the Gemara, Amru, they said, Shnaim Eser Elef Zugim Talmidim Hayolol Rebbe Kiva Migivas Ad Antipiras. Rebbe Kiva had 12,000 pairs of students from Givas to Antipyrus. That was a place. Uh, and they all died in one shot because they did not show proper respect to one another. Continues the Gemara, the world was desolate from Torah until Rabbi Kiva came to our great rabbis in the south of Israel, right? Not near Givas or Antipyrus. Um, and he taught them Mishanolahem, and he taught them. Who were his five students? Rabbi Meir. Stam Mishnah Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yehuda. Stam Sifra Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Stam Kabbalah Rabbi Shimon. It doesn't say that. It does say Stam Mishnah is Rabbi Meir, which means when you read an anonymous Mishnah, which has no author named, it is Rabbi Meir. When you read a Sifra, which is part of the incredible Midrashic accounts of the Torah, Stam Sifra is Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai, we believe, is the one who gave us over the secrets of the Zohar, the secrets of Kabbalah, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua. They were the ones who upheld the Torah and transmitted it to future generations. So what was their mistake? What does it mean they didn't show proper respect to one another? How could it be? How could they be students in the, in the school of Rabbi Akiva 
and they didn't show respect to one another, especially with the fact that Amar Rabbi Akiva Zeklal Gadol Batara Viahafta Lareacha Kamocha. Rabbi Akiva used to say the most important principle of the Torah is to Viahafta Lareacha Kamocha, love your friend like yourself. If this is your Rebbe all day teaching it, you know I, I very much merited to go to yeshiva called Shariyashiv, right? Yeshiva Shariyashiv, which is now in Lawrence, used to be in Farakway, right? And I remember when I came to yeshiva. The, there were certain, uh, you know, rabbeim, and they would give their speeches almost every single speech, almost somehow. It's like you knew they were going to get this in somehow. They'd be giving a halacha class on the halachos of like, you know, uh, of Hilchus Esrog, and they somehow would find a way to say that when you meet people, you have to say shalom aleichem to them. You have to greet them with a smile and say hello and warmly welcome them in. This was very much the bedrock of the yeshiva of Shayashiv. It was started by Rabbi Freifeld Zatzal, or Shlomo Freifeld Zatzal, who was an incredible, incredible giant in the world of Ben Adam Lechavero. And Rabbi Freifeld used to constantly drill into his students the importance of being a mensch to everybody around you. And he used to always tell them, so like when I was in yeshiva, I can't tell you how many times we would learn that message. When someone comes in, you don't know, go over, say Shalom Aleichem, say hello, give him a friendly face, say, how are you doing? Are you from out of town? Can I get you something? You know, just find out what's going on. See if you could be of assistance to them. Just, if, just give them a smiling face. That is of assistance to them. And Rabbi Kiva, his greatest cloud God of the Torah, Rabbi Kiva believed that the most important teaching in the Torah is the Ahavta How do you have students then who mess up on that? Now, first of all, clearly we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is medaktik im tzaddikim bechut We know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he interacts with the tzaddikim, he is much more demanding of them. You know, if you are the, the stock boy at Walmart and your job is to stock aisle 13, okay? And one day you're goofing off and you know what? You, uh, you forgot to restock the... Uh, the, the wasabi almonds, the bold wasabi almonds, right? You guys know the bold wasabi almond? Yeah, of course, you, you know that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, 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 did, you did stock the habaneros. You did stock the sea salt, right? You did stock the, you know, uh, Memphis barbecue, but you forgot to stock the blue diamond wasabi bold almonds. That's not okay. There's something wrong with you. You are not okay, but guess what? you're probably not getting fired either, okay? Because you're a stock boy and you missed one product on your shelf. If you're the manager of Walmart and you just weren't so careful and two of the cash registers never ended up bringing back their money at the end of the day, whatever. <laughs> so I didn't notice, you know, the stock boy didn't get, the stock boy didn't notice everything either. Oh, you're going to be in trouble. Two of your cash registers at the end of the day didn't come in and bring in their money. Mm, that's going to be some problems there. You're definitely getting a write-up. And if you don't, if this happens again, you're getting fired, right? Because we just, that's, you're a manager. You're running the store. There's millions of dollars being gone, going through that store and you got to have your hand on all of it. You got to be careful. You got to make sure no one's stealing from you. And if you're not on top of that, you're going to be fired. Oh, but it's not fair. The stock boy didn't stock. He didn't do his job. I, I did most of my job. Look, I got all the other cash registers. Yeah, but you missed two of them. And when you're the manager of the store, they're going to be demanding of you. HaKadosh Baruch was like that too. You know, when, I, when, when a person's very close to the Rabboni Shalom, when a person's a real tzaddik, the v'svivav nis'arami od. When you're, the closer you are to God, the more stormy it gets, the more turbulent it gets. 
the more you're going to have to make decisions that are going to affect more people. And the more the actions that you do affect other people, and the more you're going to be taken to task for mess ups that other people might not be taken to task for. When you're a general in the army and you miss two days because you just you were in a bad, bad mood and you decide to walk away and miss two days, but it's the middle of a war. Yeah, people are going to die because of you. If you're a private in the army and you're sick and tired, it's the middle of the war and you go AWOL and you miss a couple of days, it's not a good thing. It's bad for the morale, but you're not, people aren't going to die because of you. Rabbi Akiva's students were very, very important. They were, they were the students of Rabbi Shem Yochai, and therefore... They had a very outsized effect on the world. And therefore, when they were not showing proper respect, even if it would have been on a very, very low level, they would have been held to task for it. But let's understand exactly what, let's, where, where, what, what did it look like when they showed disrespect to one another? I can tell you what they were not doing. They weren't shooting spitballs at one another. They weren't passing notes in the classroom from one student to the other saying, oh, look at Bobby, he's falling asleep. He's got his nose up like that. You know what I'm saying? Like that, he, they, they weren't saying that. They weren't calling each other four eyes, right? They weren't calling each other names. So what was going on over there? Now, here's one idea. And there's a lot of ideas in this. Here, here's one idea. Who is most likely to call you a loser? I'm talking to you, okay? Who is most likely to call you a loser? Do you know who? You. You, of all the people in the world, you are most likely to call yourself a loser. When you don't get something right, when you do something wrong, when you mess up, you're like, I'm such a loser. People are, it's very unlikely you're going to walk down the street and someone else is going to see you and be like, hey, you, <laughs> you're such a loser. That's incredibly unrealistic. Maybe if you're in high school, but pretty much after you're in high school, the chances of you being called a loser by somebody else in public is like, I don't know, one in 10,000. I don't know, very, very it's incredibly un- uncommon. Raise your hand if someone called you a loser in the last five years, besides yourself. There we go, crickets. No one's called you a loser. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if you've called yourself a loser in the last five years, but I'll raise my hand right here. I've called myself a loser in the last five years. I probably call myself a loser in the last five days, right? We ride ourselves very, very hard. We are our biggest critics. And to a certain degree, it's not always bad, but to a certain degree, it's bad, depending on how far it goes. Everything's about degrees. That's why character traits are called midos. Midos means measurements. Every character trait in the right measurement is okay, and the wrong measurement can be devastating and dangerous. So the person most likely to call you a loser is you. And yes, it's important because nobody else is going to do it. <laughs> Who I, I need? To, I gotta tell. I gotta be honest with myself because nobody else is gonna be honest with me. I gotta call myself out. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you make a little mistake, and it's just an honest mistake. But you're like, oh, I'm such a loser. Why did I forget to hit record before I gave that whole class? 
How many times did that happen to me? After the whole class is over, I'm like, oh, I forgot to hit record. There have been times where you incredible people have stayed on with me at the end, at the end of my class, like at one o'clock, I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot to hit record. Does anybody want to stay on? Because we're doing it all over again. And you amazing tzaddikim, Yireh Shemayim, Tahorim, beautiful, amazing people have said, I'll stay on with you, Rabbi, so you can have a live audience and you can do this all over again. Right? But oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm such a loser. How many times do I have to forget to hit record before my class? Now, overall, it's not such a devastating thing. That's the worst thing I ever do in this year, in 2021. Wow, what a blessed soul I would be. I forgot to hit record on one Thursday in April of 2021. We ride ourselves very hard. Now, the students of Rabbi Akiva, all day long they heard, love your friend like yourself. Love your friend like yourself. Love your friend like yourself. Every year, Rabbi Akiva would get up and he would say, remember to say Shalom Leichem? That's what my Rebbe would say to me. Every, every year, Rabbi Akiva would get up and say, guys, we just have to remember to love our fellows like ourselves. And every day, because again, Rabbi Akiva said, Zach, Klau, God, Torah. This is the most important teaching of the Torah. If it's the most important teaching of the Torah, he would constantly be reviewing it. He would constantly be saying it again and again and again. So every day, Rabbi Akiva students are coming into Shear and they're hearing, Amar Akiva, Zechah, This is the most important principle of the Torah. You shall love your neighbor like yourself. You shall love your friend like yourself. You shall love your friend. So they're like, okay, we're going to do it. Now, I, like myself, I call myself a loser from time to time. And I call myself out when I do things that are wrong. And I lose respect for myself when I do things that are wrong. Forget about calling yourself a loser. You lose, re- you lose respect for yourself when you do something wrong, don't you? Of course you do. We lose respect. Well, if I treat everybody else like myself, that guy, I don't like the, I don't like the way he's talking about it. The Torah ideas he's espousing to me seem very false. What's wrong with him? I'm going to call him out. That guy came late to show. What's wrong with him, man? What's wrong? Now, again, I'll say to myself, if I come late to show three days in a row, five days in a row, 10 days in a row, 10 weeks in a row, 10 months in a row, I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why do I keep coming late to show? Get your act together. And that's okay for me to say that to me. It's important. But if that's what I say to my friend, that's a problem. If I love my friend like myself and I say to him, hey, man, what's wrong with you, dude? Why are you always coming late to show? I don't say you don't understand the value of tefillah. You don't understand the value of prayers. What are you, what are you doing? Again, I may speak to myself like that. And if I think that that's what it means when we say, you shall love your friend like yourself. I, I may think that I'm doing that for all the best purposes and all the best reasons. I'm following my Rebbe said, the most important thing is to love everybody like yourself. And I call myself out when I'm late for show. I call myself out when I, you know, I, I got to tell you today, there's an epidemic. <laughs> You're like, yeah, Rabbi, it's actually started about a year ago. It originated in Wuhan, China. I'm glad you found out about it now. No, the epidemic I'm talking about is the epidemic of people on their smartphones in the middle of Shul. People taking out their phones in the middle of Shul. You see people, it's insane. I see people playing word games on their phone in the middle of Chazar's Hashat's. How could that be? It's an epidemic. It really is. It's like, it's like, 
You you go to davening. First of all, I'm telling you right now, like if you're going to go to davening and you're going to play word games on your phone, or you're going to be scrolling through social media in the middle of Chazar shots on your phone, do not go to shul. Do not go to shul. Because guess what? Going to shul and davening with a minion is important. It's a Durabanan. It's a rabbinical law. Chil Hashem, desecration of God's name is the Orisa, is a biblical commandment. And you sit in there in the middle of, in the middle of the prayers are going on, the davening is going on, and you're sitting there scrolling through your phone, playing word games. I don't care what you're doing, answering text messages. On the event that you get a very, very, very important text message that you have to respond to, and you just know because someone said, I'm going to text you yes or no. Do you need to come into the hospital right now or not? Walk out of Shoal. Even if you're a doctor, walk out of Shoal. Do, I don't care. Even if you're a doctor, walk out of Shoal. I've had this conversation with doctors, like literally like doctors. He's like, I'm a doctor. I'm on call. I'm like, great, great. You're on call. Walk out. Walk out of the Shoal. Go stand outside. Because when you open up your phone in Shoal, you're dragging everybody else down along with you. So there's a pandemic going on right now. So now that's how I feel about the phone in the middle of davening. And if I was doing that, I'd probably, meaning if, if I took out my phone and started playing word games in the middle of Chazar's shots, I would be self-flagellating so severely, I would be like metaphorically dripping blood. I'd be beating the living daylights out of myself. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? How could I sit in the middle of the show and take out my phone and play word games? Can I look at somebody else like that? No. That's not what Bahaftal Riach means. That's not how Vahaftal Rechakamokho means. Vahaftal Rechakamokho does not mean look at everybody as critically as you look at yourself. You know what I would not want? I don't want people coming over to me, meaning I don't. <laughs> it's like it's like funny, you know, like there's there's like um it's like this whole conversation. Like there are certain words that you can't use, but other people can use about themselves, right? There's like a whole category of that. I think probably America would be better off if we just got all those words and got rid of them all together. But there are certain words that you are not allowed to use it, but people are allowed to use it on themselves. Okay. So for example, nothing. <laughs> so I can yell at myself, my own internal voice. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't be using the word loser. Maybe I should be using more uplifting words, but I can give myself a really hard time. I'd be like, man, lady, you just took out your phone in the middle of davening and you played word games. There's something seriously wrong with you. And that's okay. I could have that conversation inside of my head. You know what I can't do? Walk over to the guy and say, hey, buddy, you took out your phone in the middle of Shul today and you were playing word games. There's something seriously wrong with you. I can't do that. And Rabbi Kiva students, to a certain degree, were doing that. Again, God forbid they weren't using the word loser, but excuse me, the way they chastised one another, the way they held one another accountable, the way they lost respect for one another when they saw other people doing certain things. Now, again, I would lose respect for myself tremendously if I played word games on my phone in the middle of davening. I can't lose respect for other people when I see them do that too, because I don't know who they are. And as the Mishnah on Pirkei Avos tells us, don't judge your friend until you walk a mile in his shoes. It doesn't say those exact words, right? You know, they say, they say, don't judge your friend until you walk a mile in his shoes, because then if you want to judge him, you're a mile away anyway, and you're wearing shoes that are probably really small or really big on you, right? <laughs> so that was sort of what was going on with Rebekah students. The Haftal Reach Kamocha means 
you should treat others the way you want others to treat you, not treat others the way you treat yourself. You treat others the way you want others to treat you. Now, I know that I do a lot of things wrong, and I know that I've had the incredible, incredible gift and blessing of having Rabbeim in my life who were able to tell me things that I was doing wrong in a, such a sensitive and supporting way that I was actually appreciative to them for what they came over to me and said. That's, that's great. That's amazing. Don't treat others like yourself. Treat others like you want others to treat you. So that was some of the mistake that the students of Rabbi Akiva were making. And they were holding each other to standards and ways and losing respect for one another in a way that wasn't appropriate. And the reason they all died is because they were the ones who were supposed to carry the torch of Torah through to the next generation. Okay. Remember, Rabbi Kiva's students, afterwards, he had five students after those. He had 24,000 students, and then he lost them, and then he taught five new students. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Lazar ben Shemur, Rabbi Shemayachai. Those five students gave us most of our Torah that we have today. So the students of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva were literally the people who would be the transmission of the Torah. We could not have the transmission of the Torah coming through a filter that was negative, that was sullied, by this judgmental behavior and attitude that Rabbi Kiva's students had. And that's why they had to pass away because they could not carry the torch of Torah because had they been allowed to live and carry the torch of Torah, the Torah that we would have today would be much more of a judgmental Torah, much more of a critical Torah. And it would not have, forget forget the Torah we would have today. You know what? We probably, we we would not have the Torah today because it wouldn't have lasted until today. Because that's not what the Torah is. That's not how the Torah is meant to be done. It's ways of ways of peace and all of its pathways. It's ways of are ways of pleasantness and all of its pathways are peace. That could not have happened. So therefore, therefore, Rabbi Kiva's students had to die. Now let's talk about Rabbi Shimba How was Rabbi Shimba sort of connected to this whole story? And why does Rabbi Shimba die on the day that Rabbi Kiva's students stopped dying, according to some opinions, because they were all done. So let's read this a little bit. Let's read a little bit the story of Rabbi Kiva. Okay, so there was a man, uh, Rabbi Yehuda is called Rosh Hamadabrim Bechomakom which means the first person that there's a bunch of different Rabbi Yehudas. The Rabbi Yehuda that was Rabbi Kiva's student was Rabbi Yehuda Bari Loi. okay? He's the main Tana. Tana is an author of the Mishnah. The main Tana, his name is Rabbi Yehuda. His full name was Rabbi Yehuda Bari Loi. Now, what we're going to read now is another Rabbi Yehuda who was known as Rabbi Yehuda Ben Gerim, okay? So let's hear the story. And Rabbi Yehuda Ben Gerim, which literally means Rabbi Yehuda, the son of converts, he was the one who was called Rosh Hamadabrim Bechol Makom, the person who speaks first in all places. Asks the Gemara and Shabbos, Daf Lamed Gimel Amad Beis, Daf Lag B, right? Lag B, right? It's interesting. It's the story here is on, on the, the 33rd uh, page of, of Gemara Shabbos, which probably means nothing. But anyway, it's kind of cool. Lag. Okay. Vamai Karule Rosh Hamadabrim Bechol Makom. Why do we call Rabbi Yehuda Ben Gerim the person who speaks, he's the head of the speakers in all places? The Yasri Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon. There was Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Shimon were sitting. 
sorry, it's a different, yeah, Vyasar Yehuda ben Geir, I'm sorry, Rabbi Yehuda was not Rabbi Yehuda ben Geirim. I'm sorry, there was another person there named Vyasar Yehuda ben Geirim Gabaihu. I'm sorry, wrong, my bad. That was Rabbi Yehuda Bar-Eloi. So Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Shimon, three students of Rabbi Akiva were sitting around, not sitting around, they were studying Torah, I'm sure, and having deep philosophical conversations, they didn't sit around. Vyasar Yehuda ben Geirim Gabaihu and Yehuda ben Geirim were sitting in their vicinity, Pasach Rabbi Yehuda Amar Rabbi Yehuda said, How beautiful are the actions of these Romans? Tiknu shvakim, tiknu gesharim, tiknu They made all kinds of shooks for us, marketplaces. They made bridges so we can get over rivers easily. They made beautiful bathhouses. Rabbi Yossi Shasak, Rabbi Yossi was quiet. Nana Rabbi Shem Bayuchai Vamar. Rabbi Shem Bayuchai said, They didn't do this for us. You think these guys like us? You think they care about us? They only did it for themselves. Whatever they did, they did for themselves. He says, Tiknu Shvakim Lahoshiv Bahem Zonos. They set up marketplaces so that they could set in the marketplaces people of illicit behaviors, people who, who hire themselves out for illicit activities so they can make money off of our sins. They build these bathhouses so they can, it's their own personal spa day. It's their, it's their spas, that's what it is. They built these, these uh, bridges, not because they care about us, because they charge us hefty tolls to pass over these bridges. Now Yehuda, again, was Yehuda ben Gerim, who was sitting there amongst them, he heard this whole story. And he was very offended because he himself had come from a convert family. And he heard Rabbi Yehuda, the Gemara says that you do not ever, ever want to criticize the nation that a convert comes from, even for generations, right? So um, Rabbi Yehuda ben Gerim heard this and he went and he told the uh, the the Roman authorities, right? He went over and he didn't say he told it over to the, specifically to the, he didn't tell it over, he didn't go to the government and write him out, but he came home, he was talking about, it. I don't know what's wrong with Rabbi Yochai, why did he do this, whatever, and then the word follows and the word follows, and, and you know, unfortunately, the word gets out, the word follow, travels, and eventually the word got out and the government heard about it. Okay. Um, they said, Rabbi Yehuda, that gave praise to us, he will be praised, and his praise will be that no matter where he is, he always will be the first speaker. So that was actually a Roman decree, that Rabbi Yehuda would always be the first speaker, whenever there'd be a conference of rabbis, whenever it'd be anything, Rabbi Yehuda would be the first person to speak, because he spoke nicely about the Roman government, they said he will be lifted up, and he will be given the, that, that special right to be the first speaker. Yosi Shashasak Yigala Litsipori. Yes, Yossi, who was quiet, he'll get exiled to his city of Tsipori in the Galilee. The Shimon Shagina Yihareg, Shimon that criticized the government will be killed. Right? So what's he gonna do? Azalhu Bray Tashube Madrasha. Rabbi Shimba Yochai and his son went and hid in the base Madrash. Every day his wife would bring him bread and a flask of water, and they would eat it. Tafik Zerasa. The Roman decree against them got stronger. The Romans were looking for them much more seriously. And they said, Amr lebrei, nashim daitem kalas aleim, dilma magayale. 
I'm afraid that if they squeeze your mother, if they torture her, whatever it is, she's going to let us, she's going to let the Romans know. We know that the Romans were bloodthirsty, horrific torturers. We know this because of what they did to Rebekiva, right? So if they start, you know, God forbid, they start, you know, these people, they, they, they were, they, they, there was nothing they wouldn't do. They would boil people alive. So like they, they, let's say they, God forbid, start boiling your mother alive. And then she ends up telling you, we cannot have your mother know where we are. It's dangerous for her and it's dangerous for us. So they ran away. They found a cave and they hid in the cave. A miracle happened and a carob tree grew right outside the cave and a little spring of clear water came right by it. They couldn't, they, knew, they didn't know how long they were going to be in here. So they didn't want to wear their clothing the whole day because they would wear them out. They only had one set of clothing, right? No TJ Maxx in the uh, cavern over there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no, no oldnavy.com, right? So they, they took off their clothing. The, the problem is they wanted to learn all day. You can't learn when you're, when you're not clothed. It's not considered uh, fitting. So they would literally bury themselves in the sand all day. It was a sandy uh, floor in the cavern. They would bury themselves in the sand the whole day. Garci All day long, they would sit and learn Torah, buried up to their necks in the sand. When it came time to davening, they would put on their clothing. Michsu, they would cover themselves with matzli, they would get daven. So again, they said, we only have limited hours of use of these clothing. Let's make sure to use it for davening. And then they would take off their clothing again and bury themselves in the sand. Okay, so they very, very carefully saved. They rationed out their clothing. They said, we only have a certain amount of hours to wear this clothing. Let's make sure that those hours are all used in prayer. So that the clothing should not get worn out. They spent 12 years in the cave. Came along, Eliyahu Navi, and stood by the doorway to the, the cavern. He said, who will tell that the Caesar has died and the bounty on your head has been rescinded? Oh, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, they finally can come out. They come out, they get dressed. Nafku, they came out. They saw people that were plowing and sowing. <laughs> now remember, they had not seen anybody doing any work for 13 years. And what were they doing the whole time? Can you bring me a Shabbos 1, Gemara? What, yeah, and Shabbos 2 from the art schools over there. Okay. So they said, they, they, remember, for 13, for 12 years now, they had not seen anybody devote themselves to any physical labor, and they were miraculously supported by God's water and carob tree, okay? So now they see people who are planting and sowing and plowing. They couldn't believe it. Amar, manichin chaya I don't understand this guy. He, he's, he's involved in physical labor when he could be learning Torah? Like, what's he doing? That's so weird. Why is he doing that? Wherever they looked, the people were just being burned alive, right? Imagine like you know, those superheroes who've got like the, like the eyes that, you know, just come out and burn everything up. They're looking, this guy's planting and plowing. Oh my gosh, what's he doing? Planting and plowing. He's learning Torah. Guy blows up. And they go into the store. Oh my God, guy has a store? He's got a store? Oh my gosh. Why does he have a store? He could be learning Torah all day. And people started blowing up. Yet the Basko of Amra, Basko came out and said, a heavenly voice came out and said, You came out to destroy my world. Get back in your cave. 
it's Isivu Tracer Yarchishata. They came back for another 13 for another year. They spent one more year there, the 13th year. Amri They said, okay, we made a mistake. How long is the most that a, a, a Russia sits in Gehenna for 12 months? We just spent another 12 months in there. Can we get let out? A heavenly voice came out and said, okay, you can come out now. You can come out of your, your, your cavern. You can come out of your tent. So what happened? Um, yeah, Nafku, okay. they came out. Now remember, Rabbi Shem Bayochai was hiding with his son, Rebel Lazar. Rebel Lazar was still a little bit more of a firebrand, no pun intended, a firebrand. He was still a little bit more of a, you know, a fiery fellow because he was still younger and the younger people generally have less tolerance. You know what I'm saying? It takes time to build tolerance. So whatever Rabbi Lazar would destroy with his eyes, right? So, uh, so whatever Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Lazar would destroy, Rabbi Shimon would fix, right? With his, with his, Healing eyes. He said, it's enough. It's enough. There's, if we engage in Torah study, we'll take care of the world. Enough destroying those who are not studying at your level. Now comes the beautiful part. It came out. It was an Arab Shabbos. And the sun was coming down. They saw an older man that was carrying two uh, myrtle branches, right? Like two flower uh, arrangements. They're right, and he was running. Ben Ashmashos, when it was right before Shabbos, Amrulay, they said to him, Hani Lamalcha. So, why do you have these two? Why, why do you got these uh, myrtle branches? Amrulahu, Lachvay Shabbos. Recover Shabbos. I want my home to be beautiful on Shabbos. They asked him, Batizgi Lacha Bechad. Why don't you just, why do, why do you need two bouquets of myrtles? Why don't you have one bouquet of myrtles? He said to them, Chad Keneged Zachar, Bechad Keneged Shamar, right? He said to them, he said to Rav Shem Yochai and his son, one, the Torah has two different descriptions of the mitzvah of Shabbos in the Ten Commandments. One is Zachar Yom HaShabbos L'Kacha, you shall remember the Shabbos day to sanctify it. And one is Shamar Yom HaShabbos L'Kacha, you shall, you shall, you shall um, observe the Shabbos day to sanctify it. And they said, ah, beautiful, beautiful. See how beautiful mitzvahs are to B'nai Yisrael. And they were, their, their minds were settled. Now, by the way, what I want to, I want to reach you something. Uh, the, the, the end of that story is fascinating, by the way. It's not part of the story. I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit of a detour. Uh, because, because what ended up happening next is really amazing. When they came out of the cave, they were covered in uh, they were covered in 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 cracks. Their skin, right? They didn't have any skin products, and they were buried in sand their entire you know all day long for for years. Um, let me read to you the incredible Gemara. What happened? Um, okay, Shama Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yair Chasane. So Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yar, the son-in-law of Rabbi Shem heard that Rabbi Shem finally came out, and he came out to greet them. He brought them into a bathhouse to prepare them. Remember, it's Arab Shabbos now, or maybe now it's after Shabbos. And he brings them into the bathhouse, to the spa, to get you know re- rejuvenated. He was massaging the flesh of his father-in-law. And he saw there were cracks 
through our Shimon Bar Yochai's skin, right? Because again, his, his skin had been sitting in, in sand for 13 years, most of the day. And it was so painful for Pinchas Ben Yair to see what kind of, you know, how much pain it must have been for his father-in-law to have been sitting in the sand and how painful his skin must have been, cracked, dry skin all over his body, it's cracked open. So he started crying, Havakabachi was crying. The kanatru dimas ene v'kamatzavcha lei. And the, the, the tears were coming down on Rav Shem skin and they were actually hurting him more. And he cried out. Amar loi, Rav Shem, Rav Pichas said to his father, he says, Amar loi, he says to him, Oili shareisi bekach, woe is to me that I see you like this. Oi, Tati, look how, how terrible it is that you look like this. Your whole skin is covered in cracks. Such a painful experience that you went there. I'm so sorry for you. And his mama, he was literally crying for his father-in-law. To which Rav Shem Bayuchai says back to him, Amar lo, he said back to him, Rav Shem Bayuchai, Ashrecha shereisini bekach. Fortunate are you that you see me like this. If you had not found me the way you found me with all this pain, if I had not sacrificed and suffered so much for this Torah, then I would not have this Torah. The amount of Torah of Shem Baruchai was able to grow. The amount of Torah knowledge he was able to incorporate. The secrets of Torah that he was able to bring in were so deep. And it was because he was Meiser Nefesh for Torah, because he gave himself over for Torah in an incredible way. So Rav Pichas Banyar is like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to see you like this. And Rav Shem is like, no, I'm glad you saw me like this because this is how I became so great by suffering for Torah. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come by sitting in a hammock, drinking Diet Coke and then learning Torah. No, no, no. It comes, Torah is, is Niknabi Yisurim. It's acquired through challenge and difficulty. Okay, in any case... And, and the Gemara then describes how in the beginning, before he went into his years of seclusion, it used to be when Rav Shem would ask a question, Rav Shem would answer 12 answers to Rav Shem question that Rav Shem didn't know the answer to. Lesof, in the end, but when he came out, it was the opposite. When Rav Shem when Rav Pinchas would ask a question, Rav Shem would have twenty-four answers. Again, it used to be that Rav Pinchas was greater Torah scholar than his father-in-law, and if his father-in-law Rav Shem would ask a question, Rav Pinchas would give him twelve answers. And now, when he came out, he could answer all his own questions. And when Rav Pinchas had a question, Rav Shem would answer him twenty-four answers. Okay, now they came out and they were burning up the world, and they went back in, and somehow they learned some other level of Torah understanding. What did they learn? The deepest secrets of Kabbalah is how to be like Hashem. At the end of the day, that's the deepest secrets of Kabbalah. Now, of course, there are levels of Hashem that are so far beyond our ken and so far beyond our understanding. And if ever you, if ever any of you who are 40 years old and you already got your learner's permit for learning uh, Kabbalah, and you feel like you understand all the Torah's Hanigla, you already understand all the revealed parts of Torah, and you're ready to start plumbing the depths of the esoteric Kabbalistic thoughts, and approach at your own uh, caution and do that. But at the end of the day, it's about understanding what, what the Rabbanu Shalom is on the deepest level and being like him. And here's the amazing thing about the Rabbanu Shalom. You know what the Rabbanu Shalom does? Every day the Rabbanu Shalom sees us with all of our foibles, with all of our mistakes, with all of our frailties, 
with all, with, with all of our pathetic little pettinesses that we can't let go of and all the foolish things that we do. And does our bonus home stop loving us? Not for a minute. Does our bonus home stop caring about us? Not for a second. Does our bonus home think that we're losers? Never. Think about the bonus loan. Think about the Lord in heaven. Think about how much he is so well, right? Think about how much negativity he could see us doing and just hold us and love us. You want to be like God? Then you have to learn how to look at your fellow man who's making mistakes. And maybe you need to talk to him about his mistakes. And maybe you need to approach him about his mistakes because that is a mitzvah in the Torah. But to love him tremendously. If you come to him because you look at this guy in the middle of davening and he's playing word games on his phone, you're like, what is wrong with that guy? Don't approach him because you're looking at him the wrong way. When you see a guy who's planting and plowing, you're like, what's wrong with that guy? How could he be involved in, in physical labor? You're burning him up with your eyes, whether you're doing it physically, like or you're doing it spiritually, metaphorically, when you see the guy in your show playing with his word games on his phone, and you just want, then you're just, you're not being godly. That's not how God looks at the situation. God loves that man tremendously. The 13 attributes of faith, the first two are Hashem, Hashem, Kelrachum, Mechanon, Erech, Apayim, Rav, Chesed, Ames. What does Hashem, Hashem mean? The sages tell us the words Hashem Hashem means I am Hashem who loves you so much before you sin and I'm the exact same Hashem after you sin. You did a terrible Avera. You messed up. You did something wrong. And Hashem is standing right at the other end of it and saying, I still love you, son. I'm not judging you. I'm not angry at you. Come back. I'm holding you. I have faith in you. I believe in you. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Akiva's students died because they could not understand that means to love your neighbor like yourself, just like the way you want others to treat you, you should treat them. And ultimately at the highest level, look at them like Hashem treats them. Hashem doesn't hate. Hashem is not a hater. You know all those, uh, those homes that have the signs outside that say, there's no place for hate in this home? which I just want to knock on their door and be like, so how do you feel about Donald Trump? <laughs> um, but anyway, there's no place for hate in this home. There's no place for hate in Hashem's heart. And that's what we need to be able to learn from. When he went back in the cave, at this point, the 13th year, his goal, what's the, the number 13 represents Echad, one, Aleph, Ches, Dalet, one plus eight plus four, oneness, the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu the uniqueness of him, his ability to love us the same before we sin and after we sin. We just, so to speak, metaphorically, kicked him in the teeth and he still loves us on the other side of that. Can you be that way? Can you be that great? This is what Roshim Bayochai learned in the 13th year, the secrets of the unity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how to be like Hashem. And again, obviously there are so many words and Kabbalistic incantations. There's a world of Kabbalah that I'm not getting into, but I'm saying, ultimately, what is the Kabbalah? The Kabbalah is trying to understand the world from God's eyes. So that's was, that was the mistake of Rabbi Akiva's students, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was the rectification of that. Rabbi Akiva's students were too judgmental of their other peers, and that's why they could not carry the Torah forward. 
Rav Shimon Bar Yochai from all the five students of Rabbi Akiva because of his unique situation, because of the fact that he was sequestered away from humanity for 12 years and came out more judgmental because his eyes had been so disassociated from the common man for so long that when he came out, he had burning eyes and he had to go back in there and relearn how to look at the world from Akadosh Baruch Hu's eyes. And when he came out, he had a unique gift that he could teach the Torah Zanister. He was forced to learn the Torah Zanister of how Akadosh Baruch Hu looks at the world with love and compassion, even for the sinner because of his unique circumstances. That's why he, out of the five students of Rebekah, was able to teach this. And that's why he passed away on Lagba Omer because he was the rectification of their mistake. They stopped dying on Lagba Omer and he has his yard set on Lagba Omer. He fixed what they messed up. Now, he fixed what they messed up. Now we say, hold on a second. Why are we celebrating their death, his death? And this is going to bring us back to the Parsha. In this week's Parsha, we learn about the mitzvahs of the Kohanim. And the most, the most recognizable difference between a Kohen today and other people is that a Kohen cannot go into a cemetery. A Kohen cannot have any contact with the dead. And we say, why can a Kohen not have any contact with the dead? Because in Judaism, loss of potential is the greatest anathema to us. The thing that's most vile, most revolt, repulsive is loss of potential. And when a person passes away, all their potential just disappeared in a second. If the person was 78 years old, if the person was 98 years old, they still have the ability to change who they are. Yesh kona olama b'sha'achas. There are people who buy their entire olama ba in one hour. So if you still have one hour left to live, you still can change it all around. You still have all the potential. But the minute that you die, boom, all the potential leaves the room. That's why dead bodies are such an anathema to us. And the Kohanim, the priests whose job are to teach us how to live and to teach us how to use our potential, they can't come in contact with a dead body which represents loss of potential. And I actually had this conversation with somebody that I know who is possibly looking at going in for a, a long prison sentence. And I had this conversation with him and I was telling him about this idea and he was he's like, it's like, that's so beautiful. That's so, it gives me such koach. It gives me such strength. Because I, I made some really mistakes, some, some, some big mistakes in my life. But as long as I'm still alive, I can fix it. As long as the candle is lit, you can fix. So as long as someone's alive, they've got the potential to turn it all around and make it all right. Make it all right. But the minute they die, all that's over. So normally, death is an anathema to us. That's why we mourn the death of most people. But when you're a great tzaddik, the day of your death is actually the day where you reach your hashlama, where you reach your total completion. Rav Shem was a man who didn't leave any potential behind. He maxed out his potential. When do you max out your potential? The day that you die, because every minute of your life is so important. Now Rav Shem happens to be even more so than most people, because on the day of Rav Shem death, he called all of his students into his death room, into the house where he was dying, and he told them all over the rest of the secrets of Torah. And the house had fire coming out of it. Fire! So for a regular person, the day of their death is a very sad day because that's when all their potential left the room. But for a tzaddik like of Shimba Yochai, the day that they die is a yumtif because they completed their potential on, their, on that day. What an amazing, monumental human achievement to die having maxed 
out your potential to have reached hashlama, total completion, total perfection. It's a celebration for his death. That's why we light all the fires because his house was lit up with fire. The fire of the Torah that he was teaching his students on the day of his death. So now let's go back to our original questions and then we will close out. Let's go back to the original questions and we'll close out. What was the mistake of the students? The mistake of the students was that they didn't look at people with God eyes. They thought means treat your fellow like yourself, like the way you treat yourself. We are hypercritical of ourselves. And to a certain degree, sometimes that's good because we have to hold ourselves accountable. But the way we do that to other people is not okay. So that was the, the, the Rekiva's students dying. Rabbi Shem Bayuchai was making a little bit of that mistake too when he first came out of the out of the the uh, the cave and he was burning people up with his eyes. But then he went back in and he learned how to look at the world with godly eyes, which is the Torah, which is the, the secrets of Kabbalah. And then when he came out, he didn't have that experience. He fixed the mistake of Rabbi Akiva's students. What does it have to do with us? What does the Torah Sinister have to do with us? What does Kabbalah have to do with us? We're not going to learn Kabbalah. Most of us are not going to learn Kabbalah. However, what we can do is recognize how to look at the world and how to look at the world with godly eyes. And while we may continue, let's let's not call ourselves a loser because there's really no benefit in calling ourselves a loser. There's a lot of benefit in, in being more gentle and more kind with ourselves. But yes, granted, we are going to take ourselves to task a lot more for things but being able to look at people who are making real mistakes, real, real big mistakes, and still love them and have compassion and not lose respect for them and not lose our love for them because that's how God does. You want to you be a Kabbalist? Look at the world with godly eyes. Look at where Shem Yochai learned in his last year of his life. See people making big mistakes and love them and embrace them anyway. If we can do that, then the fire of Shem Yochai will still be lighting up our lives Thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for listening.